0: Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is July 19th, 2023, and I'm your skeptical host, Dennis Wren. The title of today's podcast is, You Better Buckle Down for Some Ultrasound to Diagnose Distal Forearm Fractures. Our guest skeptic today is Dr. Casey Parker, who is a rural generalist that includes in his practice emergency medicine, anesthesia, and critical care. Now, somehow, he also had the time to add on being a fully-fledged ultrasonographer. Casey currently splits his time between Broome, a small rural hospital in the remote Kimberley region of Western Australia, and a large tertiary emergency department in sunny Perth. He has been a guest skeptic on the SGM multiple times, and he is also the creator of the awesome FOMED website, BroomDocs. Casey, welcome to the show.
1: You know, Dennis, it's a pleasure to be back on the SGM as always, and our first episode together, so great to meet you in person.
0: It's fantastic to meet you as well, and I do hope that if at any point I find myself down under, we can actually meet up.
1: Uh, That'd be awesome, and uh, I don't know, one thing I left off my CV is I actually did pediatrics training for a little bit before I went into all that other stuff, so um, I really love your pediatric episodes that you do because they're right up my alley. Oh,
0: Casey, I knew I liked you for a reason. We haven't even gotten started yet. We haven't even
1: begun the nerdy talk. Excellent. All right, Casey, I think you brought us a case. I did. Here's the case. It's a steady Saturday afternoon in your small rural emergency department, and the tree Irish nurse calls you to have a look at a child who has arrived with his parents to the emergency department after falling on a bouncy castle at a kid's birthday party. He's six years old. He appears to be in a bit of pain, holding his left wrist in a little ice pack. He tells you that he was attempting to do a double backflip like Spider-Man when he landed heavily on his outstretched arm, and this happened about an hour ago. When you look at his arm, there's a little bit of clinical swelling and tenderness over the distal radius, but no real deformity. He has good perfusion to the limb and no neurological symptoms in his hand. Now, because it's a small rural ED and it's the weekend, The radiographer is not on site, but they can be called in if we want to get an x-ray. Or there is a portable ultrasound machine just up the hallway, which you could use. The child's mother tells you that the x-ray tech who's on call was also at the birthday party having a great time with her own children. So the question is, should we call in our x-ray tech friend and disrupt her party fun, or just use the ultrasound that's down the hallway to diagnose this possible fracture?
0: Oh, Casey, your pediatrics training, I think, is showing through with your case with the bouncy castle and that double back flip like Spider-Man.
1: Well, uh, I also have three boys, so I'm quite familiar with all of the above.
0: That totally makes sense and checks out. <laughs> now, we've covered pediatric wrist fractures a few times on the SGEM. And this includes all the way back to SGM number 19 reporting a bandage wrap as a safe alternative to traditional casting for children with greenstick fractures. And more recently, the amazing Dr. Tessa Davis covered the force trial on SGM 372, which looked at buckle fractures and compared immobilization in a cast or splint versus a soft bandage. And they found no difference in pain scores or functional outcomes.
1: Use of bedside ultrasound to diagnose uncomplicated wrist injuries in children has been studied in several diagnostic prospective observational trials to compare its accuracy against the more traditional plain film x-rays. Most of these trials have shown a diagnostic sensitivity and specificity above the 90% mark when compared to x-ray as a gold standard. This same research team from Queensland and Australia have also published a paper describing the learning curve for novices when learning to use ultrasound to detect forearm fractions in kids.
0: In 2022, Mobisari, and I apologize if I mispronounced that name, published a review of nine such diagnostic studies and concluded that from an orthopedic perspective, that the accuracy was not acceptable the lack of a randomized controlled trial meant that there was not enough data to support the use of ultrasound over x-ray as an initial diagnostic test.
1: Yeah, it's important to recognize as well that there have not been any randomized controlled trials to date that have compared patient-centered functional outcomes after a wrist injury based on the choice of initial diagnostic test, i.e. x-ray versus ultrasound.
0: All right, Casey, so what's the clinical question we're asking today?
1: In children with non-deformed distal forearm injuries, does the use of ultrasound as the initial diagnostic test result in inferior functional outcomes? And what's our reference? The reference is Snelling et al., and this is ultrasonography or radiography for suspected pediatric distal forearm fractures, and this was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in June 2023. Now, Dennis, I just have to little hand up here and declare my own academic bias As the lead author on this paper, Dr. Pete Snelling is a friend of mine, a fellow SONO nerd and an all round great bloke. So I do have a little bit of pervasive bias in favor of anything that Peter's conclusions may be. So I'm relying on you, Dennis, to keep me objective here.
0: Well, Casey, I thank you for your transparency in declaring this conflict of interest, but I think we can be skeptical and kind at the same time. And if you like Pete Snelling, he is probably a pretty cool guy. So maybe the three of us can get together if I ever find myself down there. Sounds good. All right, let's move on to our PICO questions. What population were they looking at here?
1: So we're looking at children between the age of 5 and 15 years of age who presented to an emergency department with an isolated, acute, non-clinically deformed distal forearm injury, which imaging for a suspected fracture was indicated
0: and they excluded anyone that had obvious angulation or deformity, but they did allow some soft tissue swelling. They also excluded if the injury was greater than 48 hours prior. They had external x-rays already, known bone disease, concern for non-accidental trauma, additional injuries. There's a list that we'll include in the show notes. And what was the intervention they were looking at?
1: Yeah, so the intervention was bedside ultrasound, which was carried out and interpreted by trained clinicians, and this included doctors, nurse practitioners, and physiotherapists.
0: Now, I got to say, Casey, I have no physiotherapists where I work.
1: That is also the phenomenon in most small uh, country hospitals in Australia. However, in some of the larger tertiary centers, we do have physiotherapists that work in our fast-track areas within the emergency department.
0: Gotcha. All right. Let's finish this up here. What was the comparison?
1: So the comparison was plain film x-ray, and the x-ray group had to undergo at least by plain of plain film x-rays, which were interpreted by the treating clinician. However, they were allowed to seek advice from the local radiologist or the orthopedic team when reading their x-rays. And let's talk about the outcomes. What was their primary outcome? So the functional outcome at four weeks, which was judged plus or minus three days after the injury. And that was measured by the Patient-Reported Outcomes Measurement Information System, or Promise score, which is a validated eight-point questionnaire, which was also the same questionnaire used by the FORCE trial.
0: And their secondary outcomes?
1: Yeah, so they looked at the same promise score at the one-week mark and at the eight-week mark post-injury. They also analyzed children by different age cohorts, so the younger kids, five to nine years, as well as the teenagers, the 10 to 15-year-old groups. There was also an analysis of the diagnostic accuracy of the ultrasound versus the x rays.
0: And there were a number of other secondary outcomes measured that we'll list in the show notes as well. And finally, what kind of trial was this, Casey?
1: Yeah, so this is a multi center, open label, non inferiority, randomized controlled trial.
0: So the authors concluded, quote, In children and adolescents with a distal forearm injury, the use of ultrasonography as the initial diagnostic imaging method was non-inferior to radiography with regard to the outcome of physical function of the arm at four weeks. Moving on to our quality checklist. First question, did the study population include or focus on those in the emergency department? Yes, it did. Were the patients adequately randomized? Yes, they were. Was the randomization process concealed?
1: Yes, the randomization was concealed.
0: And were the patients analyzed in the groups that they were randomized?
1: Yes. In this study, they analyzed the patients both in an intention to treat and per protocol analyses were performed.
0: And were the study patients recruited consecutively?
1: So I'm going to say no here, Dennis, because like many small ultrasound trials, The patients were recruited consecutively during the trial periods where there was one of these trained clinicians on shift. However, when they weren't available, there were a lot of patients that may not have been included. So we'll say no to that one. Were
0: the patients in both groups similar in respect to prognostic factors?
1: Yeah, the groups were overall very similar at baseline in terms of their demographics and also the mechanism of injuries. And
0: were all the participants, patients, clinicians, outcome assessors, unaware of group allocation.
1: No, so this is an open label trial. So the participants and the clinicians clearly knew whether they were getting an ultrasound or an x-ray as their first initial investigation. However, the expert panel who assessed the images were blinded as to whether the initial randomization was x-ray or ultrasound.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know how to hide from somebody whether or not they're getting an ultrasound or an x-ray. That seems pretty obvious. Were all the groups treated equally except for the intervention?
1: Yeah, not quite. There were more splints that were placed on the people that had the x ray first than in the ultrasound group. It was quite a significant difference, so 23 versus 32%. This could conceivably change the functional outcomes, but we'll talk more about that in the nerdy section.
0: Ooh, looking forward to that one. Okay, let's finish this up. Was follow up complete?
1: Yeah, this was amazing. So this. Is an excellent study, and they only lost two patients to follow-up in each arm, so that's less than 2% lost to follow-up, which is pretty good for one month.
0: That is incredibly impressive. Did they include all patient-important outcomes?
1: Yes, and I think we're very happy that this is a clear poo or a patient-oriented outcome that they're measuring.
0: Was the treatment effect large enough and
1: precise enough to be clinically significant? Firstly, Dennis, I love the way that you impersonate Ken when you say that. Very well done. Uh, But no, there was no difference in the outcomes in this group.
0: And our last question, were there any financial conflicts of interest?
1: No, there were none declared. And I know Pete pretty well, and he's a pretty honest guy. So I'm pretty sure that he's not in the pocket of big gel. All
0: right, Pete, we're trusting you here. Okay, let's talk about the results now. They randomized
1: 270
0: patients. The primary outcome data at four weeks was available for 130 of those patients in the ultrasound group and 132 patients in the radiography group. The average age of those patients was around 10 years, with 90% of them being right-hand dominant. And there were slightly more males in the radiography group, 57 versus 50% and the most common mechanism of injury was fall in an outstretched hand. Now, I'm not sure what category of mechanism Casey's patient falls under, because I don't think they included this double Spider-Man backflip. Maybe it's under the other fall category, but I think it should get a category of its own. What do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. should be Marvel-related injury, possibly.
0: (laughs) All right, let's talk about the key result.
1: So the key results, ultrasonography was non-inferior to radiography as the diagnostic test in terms of functional outcomes at four weeks for wrist injury in children.
0: Breaking it down, based on the outcomes, what was the primary outcome? Let's talk some numbers here.
1: Yeah, so the the PROMIS scores at four weeks were basically identical. So 36.4 plus or minus 6% versus 36.3, which gives us a mean difference of 0.1, so clearly completely the same. So I just
0: want to pause really quickly to talk a bit about non-inferiority trials. Now, in non-inferiority trials, we're comparing a new intervention, in this case, ultrasound to x-ray. And we're trying to make the determination that ultrasound is not unacceptably worse. So sorry for that double negative there. Now, in these types of trials, the researchers have to derive a non-inferiority margin. And in this case, they decided that to be Five points. Now, Ken loves the number five, but at the same time, let's acknowledge that this number might not be entirely objective. All right, Casey, let's go on to the secondary outcomes here. What did they find?
1: Yeah, they looked at the promise scores at the one-week mark and at the eight-week mark, and, and once again, there was really no statistically significant or clinically significant difference, I imagine, at either point because the numbers were almost identical, 28 versus 27, 39 versus 39. So, really, we're seeing pretty much exactly the same in both groups.
0: And ultrasound did appear to be better than x ray in terms of parental satisfaction, length of time in the ED, and time away from school.
1: Yeah. Although the patients randomized to ultrasound initially had about a third of the amount of x rays on the initial visit, there was a similar number of x rays performed when they subsequently followed up in the clinic.
0: All right, Casey, it's time for my favorite section. Are you ready to talk nerdy?
1: I can't wait, Dennis. Let's go.
0: Nerdy point number one is about patient-oriented outcomes. So we were pleasantly surprised at all of the patient-oriented outcomes in this study. Function, pain, satisfaction of both caregivers and patients, missed school days. Oh my gosh, we love our poos or patient-oriented outcomes. Now, one thing I was not quite as sure of was this satisfaction rating. And this was rated on a Likert scale of one to five. And they found that there was greater parent or caregiver satisfaction in the ultrasound group at follow up at four weeks and eight weeks. And I really want to know why. I mean, were they happy because the person performing the ultrasound explained things really nicely to them? Were they happy because the ultrasound didn't expose the child to radiation? Or were they happy simply because? Somebody had to spend more time with them while they were performing the ultrasound.
1: Yeah, Dennis, this is something that it's a phenomenon that I experience in my practice as a doctor slash sonographer, where when I spend that half an hour scanning someone, say with abdominal pain, for example, you're spending that time chatting with them and forming rapport and getting a lot more granular information that you often don't get in a busy emergency department. It's amazing how often crucial pieces of history turn up while you're scanning away And I secretly suspect that a lot of the benefit of sonography comes from this time spent with the patient as a sort of curious clinician.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I do think that in the hustle bustle of the emergency department, it is really nice to have the time to be able to actually chat with the patient, chat with the family and get to know them a little bit. For sure. Our second nerdy point is about selection bias. Now, one of the exclusion criteria for this study was obvious angulation or deformity on clinical exam. Now, I do think that there is a degree of subjectivity in determining deformity. Additionally, soft tissue swelling was allowed, and it makes me wonder would we all agree? I think that major and obvious deformities, probably yes, but distinguishing between a more subtle deformity versus soft tissue swelling that might prove to be a little bit more difficult. And the study did end up including some patients with angulated fractures.
1: Yeah, Dennis, this could really go either way, the selection bias, because clinically deformed wrists are in a way a little bit easier because we know that that's going to be a broken bone and that may need some manipulation as well. So by excluding that group that clearly have an obvious fracture, the authors are actually selecting a cohort with more subtle injuries, which may be more difficult to detect on ultrasound or x-ray. However, I agree this is a subjective inclusion criteria. It may not matter, though, as all of the children ended up getting some form of imaging, which was pretty sensitive. All right, shall we move on to nerdy point number three? This is about the clinical significance of these injuries. Now, Dennis, I want to engage you in a little thought experiment. Are you ready?
0: Uh-oh. Casey, just just go easy on me, okay? I will fully admit I do not possess your same knowledge Oh, great ultrasound guru.
1: (laughs) Well, I want you to imagine the future and imagine that you're working in a department that has this amazingly high-resolution imaging machine that can detect microscopic cortical fractures that would be invisible on even the best X-ray films that we have available today. Now, what would happen if we used this machine on every kid with a sore arm?
0: Well, I guess we would end up finding a lot of Tiny fractures, many of which we would have called normal before without this new technology. So, we'd be diagnosing and probably treating more kids with this super sensitive machine.
1: That's exactly right. And forearm injuries, they occur on a spectrum from little tiny bone bruises through to a buckle fracture and then those nasty dinner fork deformities. Now, we've learned from the trials, like the FORCE trial, that there must be a point on this spectrum where interventions like plaster casts or splints won't have a benefit over our do-nothing care, where which is where, what we do when we put a soft bandage on. So it's an interesting point, what injuries do need to be detected.
0: Yeah, and I think that splints, at the end of the day, they're not benign, right? So applying them to every kid with a tiny cortical breach will almost certainly result in unnecessary immobilization and Uh, maybe a degree of temporary loss of function, there's also the possibility that a poorly applied splint can actually cause skin breakdown. Or if the child gets that splint wet, well, then I guess we're seeing them back in the emergency department again.
1: Yeah, it may be that ultrasound could be less sensitive than x-ray, but it may not actually matter as the injuries that we see that are not seen on ultrasound are unlikely to benefit from immobilization if they're completely undisplaced.
0: So in this trial, there were more splints placed on the kids in the group who were x-rayed at the initial visit. However, the kids who were found to have a buckle or a torus injury did receive a splint in this trial, and yet there was no difference in functional outcomes. So maybe it really does not matter what we do in the first place.
1: Yeah, this, the buckle trial and the force trial were recruiting kids at the same time, actually. And after the force trial showed no difference between splints and soft bandages, it would be interesting to rerun this trial and not splint the kids that just had a simple buckle fracture as we were shown by the force trial. Maybe we would then find an actual significant difference in favor of ultrasound in terms of function.
0: Or as Ken would say, they may or may not do better. We just don't know yet. That is true. And then there's also this question of the denominator, right? Like how many children fell today that have a buckle fracture, but they were never brought or referred to the emergency department. And those kids were likely treated like, oh, you just sprained your wrist, get back to it, aka the rub some dirt on it and go about your day approach. So what is the true denominator of the population that fell and have a non-angulated fracture? I don't think we will ever know. The the other point that I want to bring up is that if this study is setting the stage for potentially using ultrasound to diagnose other pediatric fractures, I think we would need buy-in from our orthopedic colleagues for this to be effective. It would not surprise me for them to still ask for formal x-rays.
1: Yep, I completely agree with this, Dennis. This is ultimately a team sport. We're one part of a, a big network of care here, and it's typically the orthopaedic team who are going to be ultimately responsible for the follow-up care in the clinic. So they should also be involved in the decisions around diagnostic imaging. It should be noted that in this trial, the ultrasound was actually more accurate than the x-rays. If you look at table uh, number two in the appendix, you'll see that when the expert panel reviewed all of the images, they only changed the diagnosis twice in the ultrasound group whereas there were seven changes made to the final diagnosis in the x-ray group. And these are small numbers, but it's an interesting talking point if you're going to go and talk to the orthopedic team in your local hospital about what ultrasound and x-rays can actually do.
0: All right, moving on to nerdy point number four, ultrasound credentialing. This is something you're pretty familiar with, I think, Casey.
1: Yeah, this is actually one of my jobs at the moment is trying to train up a whole system of physicians in, in ultrasound. So, this is something I'm quite passionate about. And it's really tricky to get a whole team of doctors and nurses up to a standard where they can replicate the sort of diagnostic accuracy that we're seeing here. Although pediatric forearms are technically very simple to scan, there are a lot of false positives with all those little growth plates and variants that kids have. And there's almost certainly a bit of Hawthorne effect going on in this trial, in that we have very enthusiastic clinicians who have become participants in this trial, and they're almost certainly going to be better at ultrasound than the average ED physician that picks up a probe from time to time.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, this trial group spent a lot of time teaching the clinicians, including didactics, scanning one another, models, proctored scans, logbooks, and then this final assessment to ensure competence before being involved in the trial. And I'm not sure how feasible this is depending on where you practice.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I I don't think that not educating people is necessarily... A bad thing, but I think more education is probably always good, especially in rural areas where I think ultrasound probably has the most pragmatic benefit in its utility. Staff turnover can be really high in rural sites, so it'd be really tough to get the same level of accuracy compared to plain films in a place where you're getting new nurses and new doctors through every couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in places with high staff turnover, as you mentioned, as much as I believe in investing in people, I don't think it would be particularly time or cost effective to be implementing this type of extensive training. Our last nerdy point is about generalizability. Now, again, we have to give kudos to the authors for training so many of the emergency department team members in using ultrasound to assess for buckle fractures. And we also think that the use of multiple types of ultrasound machines and probes makes this study more generalizable but I'm still not sure of its widespread implementation. In a rural practice location like you described, Casey, where x-ray may not be readily available or there is a significant delay, ultrasound seems very appropriate. I happen to be a little bit more spoiled, and I practice at this academic institution where getting an x-ray is really not difficult at all. And from a workflow perspective, I often find that an x-ray has already been ordered and triaged on a patient presenting with forearm pain after a fall. And sometimes that x-ray is done by the time that the patient actually makes it from the waiting room to the emergency department to see me. So in that sense, I'm not sure that ultrasounding these injuries fits into the workflow as much for me. The authors did note that it did decrease time to emergency department triage by 15 minutes, but this 95% confidence interval was wide and ranged from 29 minutes to one minute.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you here, Dennis. In in larger hospitals with 24-7 access to radiography, one might argue that frontline clinicians are probably better off spending time doing other stuff other than ultrasound and we may just be shifting the time costs of imaging from the x-ray department to our busy emergency physicians and nurses who probably have other stuff they could be doing. Of course, this depends entirely on your local system. Therefore, this trial does need to be interpreted very much in the context of your own practice. Personally, I use ultrasound all the time, but I use it when I can't get a quick x-ray, so in the evenings or on weekends. But I'm happy to get an x-ray if it's going to mean a timely diagnosis, so I can move on to that next kid.
0: Okay, Casey,
1: can you comment
0: on the author's conclusion compared to the SGEM conclusion?
1: Yeah, we generally agree with the author's conclusions in this paper.
0: And can you give us the SGEM bottom line?
1: Ultrasound may be an appropriate method for diagnosing fractures in clinically non-deformed distal forearm injuries when access to radiographs is a challenge.
0: And can you resolve the case for us? How did our aspiring Spider-Man do?
1: So we decided to perform a bedside ultrasound after giving some oral analgesia. We did detect a small buckle fracture just on the distal radial aspect of the forearm. There was no angulation or shortening. And given our knowledge of the force trial, we had a nice discussion with the parents about the management options, a soft bandage versus a splint, and we agreed on a soft bandage. And We gave advice to this little guy about maybe not impersonating Marvel characters over the next couple of weeks. The family were very happy with this. They returned to the party 15 minutes after triage, and they managed to share some cake with a very happy radiographer that didn't have her Saturday disrupted.
0: Wow, so everybody is very happy in this ending. That's fantastic. So, Casey, I know we've talked a little bit about this throughout the show, but how are you going to apply this clinically?
1: Yeah, so, Dennis, I think the use of bedside ultrasound to diagnose forearm injuries seems to be a reasonable diagnostic strategy. This trial shows that there was no functional difference in those important patient oriented outcomes if we use the strategy in kids with clinically non-displaced injuries.
0: And I know that we are in emergency medicine-focused podcasts, but I do think there's a potential for implementation of this in a primary care setting. I don't think many primary care settings have easy access to x-ray, but imagine being able to ultrasound a child with an arm injury and potentially save them from that emergency department visit. That'd be nice for everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, Casey, what are you going to tell the parent and the family?
1: So I'm going to tell the parents that your child has a buckle fracture on ultrasound, and fracture means that there's a break in the bone. Now, this injury can safely be managed with either a bandage or a soft splint. However, he will need to avoid doing activities where he may re-injure his wrist for about a month. We'll give you some medicine to help control the pain, and our excellent orthopedic broken bone team will see your child in the clinic next week to discuss his progress. Well,
0: Casey, thank you so very much for joining us on SGMP. I learned a lot from our discussion.
1: Yeah, that was great, Dennis, and um, it's a brave new world, and it's good to explore these new modalities. Absolutely. And just because
0: we have the technology doesn't always mean that we should be using it.
1: That is also true.
0: (laughs) All right, Casey, before we go, can you give us the SGEM tagline?
1: Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide from Emergency Medicine.
0: Talk to everyone next time.